welcome to Timeless Treasures from God's Word, a preaching ministry of the late Reverend Howard E. Tucker, former pastor of the Calvary Presbyterian Church in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania, whose radio ministry was heard for many years on KDKA every Sunday night. Voiced by his son, Timothy, we hope these messages will inspire and challenge you and bring many to a saving knowledge of Christ as Savior. Now, here's Tim. Welcome back to our program tonight, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to study God's Word with us. I'd like to share a message entitled 490 Prophetic Years. It's a study of Daniel chapter 9 that my father gave on the radio some years ago. He was a graduate of Wheaton College and Dallas Theological Seminary. And you can listen to other programs that we've done by taking your smartphone or computer and in the search bar, just type in Timeless Treasures from God's Word. Well, Daniel has long been assailed by the critics of our inspired, inerrant, infallible, holy word of God, the Bible, because of its tremendous prophetic significance. The answer, of course, is not in the small, finite minds of the critics when they claim they have problems with the book, but just as in the case of Jonah, another book which troubles them greatly, their real problem is their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if they claim him as their Savior and Lord. When our Lord was asked for a sign, he said he would give none, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And in connection with Daniel, he gives him his seal of approval by saying in Matthew twenty four fifteen and Mark thirteen fourteen, You shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. You see then that it is not a question of having difficulties with ancient records from any natural viewpoint, but whether from a spiritual viewpoint we believe our Lord when he says something, and of course we do if we are truly Christians or believers in Christ and in his finished work on the cross. In Daniel, from chapters 1 through 6, we see the three chief sins of the Jews, which caused God to permit them to be carried away into captivity in Babylon, and the relationship of Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonian Empire, and then through all the historical events up to the time of Daniel's relationship to Darius, head of the Median Persian Empire. Prophetic significance was indicated in all the events, but actually only chapter 2 was wholly prophetical, giving us the ABC of Gentile world prophecy, especially portraying the four successive world empires as we know of as the Babylonian, the Median Persian, the Greek, and the Roman, with aspects to be fulfilled after the true church is caught up into heaven. In Daniel from chapters 7 through 12, we see almost 100% prophecy. In chapter 8, we saw prophetical aspects of the Second and Third World Empires, the Median Persian and the Greek. Tonight, in our message from chapter 9, entitled 490 Prophetic Years, we see 483 of them fulfilled up until the death of Christ on the cross for the sins of the world, with the last seven of them yet to be fulfilled during the tribulation period, following the catching up of the true church into heaven, and prior to Christ's coming in great power and glory to the earth, to defeat his enemies, and to establish the promised millennial kingdom. The revelation of these 490 prophetic years to Daniel comes toward the close of chapter 9. At the beginning of the chapter, Daniel explains the 70 years' length of the captivity of the Jews from the prediction in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12. They had stolen the Sabbath from God for about 490 years, so God keeps accurate bookkeeping and takes them away from their land for 70 years. 
Daniel realizes that the 70 years are about to come to an end. Cyrus, who is mentioned in Daniel 6.28 and would be mentioned again in Daniel 10 verse 1, was also mentioned in Isaiah 44.28 and Isaiah 45 verse 1, over a hundred years before his birth, as the one who would give the decree for a remnant to return to the promised land to rebuild the temple and eventually also the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Next, in this chapter 9 of Daniel, starting with verse 3, we see Daniel's great prayer of confession of sin on behalf of the Jews. He lists the ways in which they have disobeyed God in spite of all his mercies toward them. He emphasizes the righteousness or holiness of God in punishing his people because of their sins. He pleads for God's forgiveness and for God's face to shine once more upon the temple in Jerusalem, which lies desolate. While he continues to pray, he is actually interrupted by the angel Gabriel, who has been sent by God to reveal to Daniel the 490 prophetic years. We see here how quickly an angel can come from the presence of God in heaven to us here on earth. In chapter 10, the interference of Satan's angel delays the angel of God three weeks in getting to Daniel, in spite of Daniel's prayer and fasting. Verse 24 speaks of 70 weeks, and most good fundamental Bible scholars interpret this expression to mean 70 sevens of years for the total of 490 years. They're divided into three very unequal periods. The first is seven weeks, or 49 years. The time starts from the permission for the remnant to return to the land until the temple is actually built and the walls around Jerusalem restored. In this period, therefore, would be the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, with their thrilling stories of the approximately 50,000 who returned to the promised land. Read these books as you would have opportunity to see how God worked in spite of what verse 25 here calls troublous times. We certainly live in troublous times now, and if there is going to be any changes in our sin-cursed world, it must be by the power of God because of the prayers of believers. Otherwise, the only alternative will be God's judgment on the world that rejects his son. The next period is 62 weeks or 434 years. After the 49 years are ended, these 434 years will begin and will not end until the Messiah has come and has been cut off, as verse 26 says, or in other words, his crucifixion on Calvary. Critics may quibble about years, but when you figure it all out very carefully, it seems to be mighty accurate according to what actually happened. Now it is from here on that you must insert the entire church age, or you end up being very confused about the last seven years. You see, Israel's clock stopped ticking on Calvary's cross, and it will not start ticking again until after all true believers have been caught up into heaven, which we call the rapture of the church. This could take place at any moment. When the last person believes in Christ, who is going to do so, and is placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, so that it is complete, then our Lord will return in the air to catch us up into heaven. Now the third period is the one week or seven years. Israel's clock starts to tick once more, and Satan's fiend, the little horn of Daniel 7, and the first beast of Revelation 13, who will control the vast political system of the world, assisted by the second beast of Revelation 13, called the false prophet, who will control the vast apostate ecclesiastical system of the world, will, as verse 27 says here, confirm a covenant with the Jews for a week of years, for a total of seven years. At first, 
they will be let alone as far as their temple worship and blood sacrifices are concerned. Then in the middle of the seven years, he will break his covenant with the Jews, cause the temple and sacrificial altar to be abominably desolated, and Satan will bring about the worst persecution of all history upon the Jews, with Revelation telling us that 144,000 of them will be sealed and protected by God. This will be what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble during the last three and a half years or the Great Tribulation, and only after all of this has been fulfilled will verse 24 be fulfilled in regard to the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. This will be when Christ returns in great power and glory to the earth to defeat his enemies and to establish the promised millennial kingdom. The last verse, 27, speaks of even until the consummation, and that determined should be poured out upon the desolate or the desolator, the one who has caused it all. Revelation tells us that the beast and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire during the millennial kingdom, while Satan is bound in the bottomless pit during the same period. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is loose for a season, and in spite of absolute perfection, righteousness, and peace for a thousand years, the sinful human heart still can be influenced by Satan, so he draws many after him again. They are destroyed, and Satan is cast into the lake of fire, where the beast and false prophets still are, because this is not annihilation, but tormented eternal existence separated from God. Remember Matthew 25:41 indicates the lake of fire or hell was made by God for Satan and the angels that fell with him, and not for man. Man goes there only if he rejects the love of God by refusing to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. In the wicked day in which we live, a study of the prophecy found in the inspired and errant infallible Holy Word of God, the Bible, gives to true believers in Christ as Savior a calm confidence with contentment that the world knows nothing about, cannot give, and cannot take away. It gives us that godly audacity to go to a world that is lost in sin and bound for hell, apart from Christ, and tell it lovingly, prayerfully, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we have the only one who is the answer to his need. They tell us sometimes we do not listen to the present generation. Oh, yes, we do, and we know what they are saying when they are not even aware of what they are really attempting to say. They are saying we are lost and need a Savior. Let's share our Savior with them. Assure them prophecy is a fearful thing only if they refuse to trust in Christ as their Savior and say, On Christ almighty vengeance fell that would have sunk an earth to hell. He bore it for a chosen race and thus becomes our hiding place. If you never have received Christ as your personal Savior, why not come to Jesus right now in this quiet moment? Bow your heads before the Lord and ask him to say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that I'm a sinner. I deserve your judgment for my sins. I deserve hell for my sins. But I want to repent. I want to turn away from my sins and follow Christ. I believe in my heart that he died on the cross for me and shed his precious blood so that my sins could be forgiven. He bore my sins on the cross with him so that I would be free of them, forgiven, free of the guilt that accompanies them and not have to be judged by them at the great white throne judgment. And I now accept Christ as my personal Savior, believing he rose again from the dead victoriously to prove that if I place my faith and trust in him, I will have eternal life. My sins will be forgiven. I will have a home in heaven forever. Would you trust in Christ 
right now? Thank you for tuning in tonight. We hope and pray this message was a blessing to you. You may receive a free written copy by emailing us at tptuck51 at gmail.com or by calling 412-337-3858. Our mailing address is Timeless Treasures from God's Word, 147 Crescent Garden Drive, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 15235. Please join us next week at this time over this fine radio station, Word FM. Till then, walk with the Lord in the light of His Word.